I come to the podcast today, Mike, a broken man. Mm. Physically broken. What'd you... You got to have a skiing accident? Something? <laughs> How physically broken is this physically broken? Is it like metaphorically physically broken? Or did you actually break a bone? I don't think so. I don't think... You can't be metaphorically physically broken. Well, we're that's, gonna find out, ridi- aren't we? That's in, in, when no, you answer no, this Mike, question, that's ridiculous. That's, okay. a, that's ridiculous that some that you could even think that someone could could start a story where they're going to be metaphorically physically broken. That's that's absurd. Okay, so what did you break? Okay, nothing's broken. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm still broken. I'm still a broken man. Metaphorically. Through entirely my own fault. Okay. And I, f- I feel like I want to impart a lesson for the listeners that I wish I myself had followed. And it's, it's when you're in a good routine, don't, don't let that fall apart. It's so easy. It's so easy to let it fall apart and you will regret it. And what, what happened to me was... I don't know, maybe like a year ago, I had this massage therapist slash physiotherapist that I was working with for RSI issues. Mm-hmm. And she was great. And she helped helped keep away all of the various problems that we have discussed many times on the show. And then she moved to the other side of the city. And I was like, that's too far. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. So what did I do? What did I do, Mike? Instead of immediately searching out a replacement for this person I visited regularly every other week, what did I do? Nothing. Mm-hmm. I just was like, oh, I feel fine. Mm-hmm. I don't need to find another person to work with because I feel great. Now, of course, the reason I felt great is because I was working with someone. <laughs> and, yeah. Right? But it's like, it's so easy to just... Let a thing slide. Whoever needs to finish a course of antibiotics, am I right? <laughs> yes. That's yeah, that's exactly <laughs> it. Like, oh, I feel so good. I don't need these pills anymore, right? Uh-huh. It is like, oh, no, but you do. You do. And particularly with antibiotics, civilization needs you to finish mm-hmm. those pills as well, right? <laughs> it's, not just, it's not just for you. It's for everyone. No more plague, please. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. And so basically, here begins the counter for... When is the problem? Like the universe begins a countdown timer for like, well, you're going to rue this day. And sure enough, we eventually had the perfect storm of interactions, which was I was working a lot over the two weeks where I was at home working on the videos that just came out. And the perfect storm was, oh, hey, you know what? I, you know what I'm going to do? You know, what's a great idea, Mike. Why don't I animate one of these videos myself. I haven't I haven't done any hands-on animation in a long time. I feel like, you know, ooh, let me just crack crack my bones here. Let me let me get into this a little bit. Time to get back to the craft. I've been away exactly. from my roots. <laughs> yeah, I've been away from my roots for so long. Why have I been away? Oh, that's right, because crippling pain drove me away. But like that is long forgotten now. And I thought, like, oh, this is a great idea. Oh, you know what's an even you know what's an even better idea? Let me let me not use the tools that I am familiar with for producing animation. I'm going to start from scratch. Mm. And this is this is a great time at the 11th freaking hour 
to learn Motion 5. Just like a whole new animation paradigm that I basically have no real experience with. What is, let me, who let are me you? use this to produce a video. What is this person that you're describing? Are we talking about the metaphorical person again? No, this... What happened to you? <laughs> I feel like you need to listen to our show more. Well, this is this is why this is why I'm telling this story, right? right. Because oh, this is just for you. <laughs> like this is for me to listen to when yeah. I'm going over your edit of the show, and I do think I do think it's an amazing example of how I don't know. I, like I say this all the time in various different ways, but like you can't trust yourself in your own brain. No, you like your own brain is both like a cunning adversary at times. And also just the dumbest idiot you have to live with. And this is one of these cases where it's like, I think because I had been now, now at this point, close to three weeks of like totally isolated, hadn't left my house, just working 100% on this project. Uh, and I think I just like lost all perspective. And yeah, so so like this is this perfect storm for thinking, what a great idea. I'm going to learn a brand new animation tool to use to animate the footnote to the main video because I didn't want to bother the animator with having to do this thing. And it's like, okay, well, we can work in parallel and this will be great. I'll have like, you know, one and a half kind of videos out on the day because it was more than just like a, a, a normal little footnote that just adds some point. And so... Then then it was like, oh, this this is like three years ago, Gray, where I'm staying up late at night and rushing in the morning to try to finish up the the we can describe them as barely competent animations for the footnote video that I put up. And it's like, oh, you know what happens when you're rushing? When you're rushing, you don't want to swap hands like you would do if you were producing a piece of work over a long period of time so that you can maintain yourself. No, I'm going to use my right hand entirely. Oh, and of course, I don't want to switch to the pen either from my mouse because the pen's a little bit slower and I'm under the gun for producing this. So I was a man filled with regrets, filled with like all of the musculature problems in my arms that I had had like ages ago that I'd mostly gone away from. And then, of course, didn't seek out help immediately. And then it starts to grow. You know, it's the thing where you're you're shifting your weight. You're moving a little strangely because one side of you is broken. And it all it all culminated this morning with my wife looking at the twisted creature that I had become and decided she's like, I'm just sending you. I'm sending you to a place. And she sent me off and I had an encounter with a sturdy middle-aged Eastern European woman named Olga who took one look at me and she said, not good. This is not good. (laughs) And sorted me out in an incredibly painful way. But it was, it was what I deserved after just an incredible series of dumb, dumb decisions. Do these things help you? These types of massages? Like, I feel like they've never helped me, like, for, for my RSI problems. So, is there a specific type of, like, therapy that you're looking for? Okay, yeah. So this is, this is the thing, like, to anybody out there, like, there's, there's a couple of different things that you're, trying to look for right and so there's rsi problems that are like nerve problems which are the most terrifying kind of problem to have and that uh like that's the kind that can manifest where like 
you just like touching a surface can cause pain in your hand or like moving your arm in a certain way causes like nerve problems. Mm -hmm. And that's like a real pure RSI problem. Um, and I, I, in my experience, and I think in your experience, there's basically nothing that you can do to mitigate that except just to wait, like to just yeah, wait. It is a, yeah, it's wait, right? Like I, yeah. I hurt myself in November for a similar reason of like, I knew that holding the Switch and playing it over long periods of time <laughs> was a problem, but like, I really want to play Pokemon this way instead of using the other controller. So like, I'm just, if I just support it on my leg at the same time, it'd be fine. No. Wait, what is the position you were trying to do with the Switch? I don't just understand. Just like you... trying to support the weight a little bit, like in okay. handheld mode. Like, this is oh, stupid, no. right? Like no, it's handheld really mode. Dumb. Handheld yeah. mode was the problem, right? I, I, I can play any other way except holding the, the console. Yeah, it's just too heavy. You, you can't, you can't do that for any period of time. Well, at least some people can, but, but my weak wrists cannot. <laughs> so that one incident, that was like four or five months. It took yeah. me to get back to a normal level of uncomfortableness. Yeah. And and that like this is the this is like the top tier scary kind of RSI that we've talked mm -hmm. about on the show. Because it it is like it's very, very frightening. So what I'm talking what I'm talking about here would not help that very much at all but what i sometimes get is these like musculature problems that are, that are like precursors okay. to the next level of it's going to be really scary right okay so you, you notice some trends that like because i haven't been dealing with this for very long that maybe i could find but yeah haven't got to yet i, I think if you if you listen really closely to the way your body is under certain circumstances you can you can start to notice this kind of stuff. Um, and it's, it is, it is useful, but this musculature problem is like a precursor for me and is something that I, I weirdly almost always like dumbly try to push through like, ah, no, it's fine. I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep going because it doesn't start painful. Like RSI does. It just grows to be like crippling. <laughs> but so that kind of thing, like what you're looking for is, it's very hard to find, but you're looking you're looking for someone who's not like not like giving a massage like you see in an advertisement for a vacation in Hawaii, right? Where there's like, oh, it's a beautiful setting and there's someone mm -hmm. on the beach. Like that's not what you're looking for and that's that's totally unhelpful. So this is the type of massage that would never be preceded by the word couples. Yes, correct. Okay, it would never great. be preceded by the words couples. Because <laughs> nobody needs to see their partner in these types of situations. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's 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 the kind of massage where you're thinking like, would it be inappropriate for me to cry in front of this woman? <laughs> right? Like it's right. It's 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 half physiotherapy and, uh -huh. and half like deep tissue pushing mm -hmm. around. Mm -hmm. But yeah. Anyway, I got I got like this morning, I got this incredibly disapproving uh, breakdown from this woman who was just like. Your back is terrible. <laughs> this mm. is this was a really bad situation, uh, and she's she's straight upset. She's like, "Tomorrow you will have a difficult time moving, and you should see me again next week." And I'm like, right. "Okay, I think I." It's need to. good to know all of that in advance. <laughs> like, yeah, because sometimes I've left these situations, and they're like, "All right, great, so see you next week." And it's like, "Oh, but I can't move until then, right?" It's that's the part you didn't tell me. <laughs> but yeah, so 
even even if you run a podcast where you talk about RSI and have routine discussions about trying to be intentional with your decisions and thoughtful about what you do and maintaining a career over a long period of time and how to manage and delegate work. Under the right circumstances, you too can do the dumbest thing imaginable and pay severely for it. Today's episode of Cortex is brought to you by Eero. With Eero, you can build a Wi-Fi system perfectly tailored to your home. Considering how much high bandwidth we need these days, you need a distributed system in your home that can make sure that you're getting the best speeds available. And with Eero, you can install an enterprise-grade Wi-Fi system in your home in just a few minutes. It starts with the second-generation Eero device that features three 5 gigahertz radios, allowing for increased speed and range. It sits flat on any surface and connects either over Ethernet or wirelessly, and you pair it and expand the coverage in your home with the Eero beacons. These are tiny devices that plug directly into your wall, allowing you to reach every single corner of your home. Eero is also now introducing Eero Plus as well, to the Eero family of products. This is designed to provide simple, reliable security to help defend all the devices in your home from malware, phishing, and unsuitable content. Eero Plus can automatically tag sites that contain violent, illegal, or adult content so you have powerful parental controls. It includes ad blocking functionality to help improve load times for websites full of privacy-invading ad tracking. And it's also possible to have Eero Plus check the sites that you visit against a database of millions of unknown threats to prevent you from visiting anything malicious. Eero Plus even includes subscriptions to 1Password for password management, Malwarebytes for antivirus solutions, and Encrypt.me as well. Eero is incredibly impressive. The range that you can get from an Eero system is really incredible going from every part of your home out to the back garden. And what and I, one of the things I love is the guest network. It's super easy to be able to set up a guest network and give somebody a code and they don't have to have your Wi-Fi password safe forever. Really easy stuff, but the whole thing is kept nice and simple and usable with the wonderful Eero app as well. Never think about Wi-Fi again. You can get $100 off the Eero base unit and two beacons package and one year of Eero Plus just by going to Eero.com slash Cortex. That's E-E-R-O dot com slash Cortex. And when you get to check out, use the promo code Cortex. That is Eero.com slash Cortex and the promo code Cortex to get $100 off the Eero base unit and two beacons package and one year of Eero Plus. Our thanks to Eero for their support of this show and Relay FM. I would like to return to reviewing app icons, as it seems to have been a weekly segment currently. Oh, okay. Who is in the target today, Mike? I didn't particularly want to have to keep coming back to this well, but okay. But Microsoft gave me an opportunity here, which I feel like I just couldn't pass up. Okay. Um, so as you know, I have been using Outlook yep. recently to manage the Cortex brand email that people have been sending him. Mm-hmm. So Microsoft decided to change Outlook's icon. Mm-hmm. So I want to provide to you a before and after. So okay. just so you can, because I know that you won't use an Outlook. And I just want you to just to just to get the full glory of what they've done here. So if okay, you, I've given right. you some links here, so uh, and these will also be in our show notes. Click the before. And you take a look. All right. So I've, I've clicked it before. It has all the hallmarks of an email app. It's blue and there's an envelope. Right. Yes. Yeah, so I was going to say, as, as we discussed previously, for big corporations, you have two options, which is the white and primary colors. Yeah. Or all blue. And mm-hmm. Microsoft has gone for all blue, all blue. with Outlook. Yep. And then they have that weird door looking shape with the letter O on it. But that's very normal for Microsoft design language across their 
Office 365 suite of products. I was going to say, is that a piece of paper? Is that what the, that's supposed to be? Is that a piece of paper you're going to put in the envelope? I don't know what they're supposed to be, honestly, but like that, that is like the kind of design aesthetic that Microsoft's been going for for a while with, with their icons on all platforms. What, do, they, do they have one of those with an E for Excel? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they do. I guess yeah. it's a spreadsheet then. What are the four? It's it's uh, it's Word, Excel, PowerPoint. PowerPoint. Always for, what's the other one? Access? Is that what the other one is? Like, do they all have the little rectangle like this with a letter on it? Well, isn't it Outlook? Isn't Outlook the fourth one? I thought that, I th- uh... Yeah, Outlook, Word, Excel, PowerPoint, and then you're right, Access, but I don't know what that is. Access. It's a database program. Okay. Which, which Excel completely isn't. Nobody uses Excel like a database. <laughs> the icon should have told me it was a database because it's a stack of circles. Right. Which denotes database. database. But yeah, they all have this, right? They have like this this letter on like a door kind of thing. It's like opening right. to... Outlook's an envelope. Word is a piece of paper with some lines on it. PowerPoint is a pie chart. That kind of thing, right? Oh, I see. Okay, it's a door. It's a door revealing the app. Very. That's clever, what Microsoft. I think it is. Very but... clever. I thought it was a letter being stuffed in that envelope, but obviously not. Okay, got yeah. it. Outlook, blue. It's very blue. All right. So now I want you to click on the after. Okay. Oh wow, Microsoft. I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say it, Mike. Microsoft has forged a new path in corporate design language by combining the two aesthetics it's blue on a white background but now the envelope's blue which doesn't make any sense why is the envelope blue i want to read to you the way that microsoft described this okay all right we've updated our icon to reflect how we bring email and calendar together with carefully crafted experiences, oh, yeah, apparently, that honor our office heritage and welcome the future. Whoa. Uh, so it is an envelope of which a Pantone color sheet is coming out of, but which is apparently supposed to be a calendar. That is totally a Pantone color sheet. Yeah, that's yeah. not a calendar. <laughs> it's not a calendar. Uh, with now a, a, a smaller O in a traditional app icon shape, which is now flat. It's not a door sitting on top of it. So there's a couple of things happening here. One, just massively different. Two, none of the other Microsoft apps have updated. <laughs> so oh, okay. are the out, have the Outlook team gone rogue? What is happening over here? They, they, all the old apps look the same, right? They have the doors. Well, I mean, they must be following Slack's new design principle, which is that our app icons, in unifying them, will now look different mm-hmm. on each platform that you use them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so it's like our office suite looks the same everywhere except for as Apple. an update like just as a continuing update in the slack saga the mac app still purple yeah i think that's not changing i think it's just going to stay purple forever <laughs> but you know hashtag consistency in icon design as as slack we're looking for uh so yeah this outlook logo yeah. it's like i don't have a particular issue with this logo i think it's fine Mm-hmm. What I think what I find weird about it is they made such a huge change mm-hmm. and then also the way they described it. It's just like, right. that's not a calendar. <laughs> and also, like, again, why is the calendar coming out of the envelope? Like, why? Yeah. Like, because the thing is, is like, all right, so you're trying to say we're combining these two things. All right, let's go down that line of thinking for a moment that you're combining calendar and email. Right. Visually, what you were showing me is that the calendar doesn't fit inside of the envelope, which 
by the extension of your own metaphor, proves the point that your email and your calendar probably shouldn't be in the same app. Yeah. Because it doesn't fit, is what you're showing me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like the, the image should be, you know, an, on, on, an envelope lying on top of a calendar, like lying on top of a grid or something. Uh, sure. Yeah. And I mean, what it should be is none of those things, and you should actually try and come up with a logo for it that doesn't have an envelope. Mike, I don't know. I don't know if you can expect corporate America to find their email if if you don't have an envelope on their icon. I, I, that's that's outrageous. I just wished that like we could define email to be its own thing rather than letters when. That just doesn't make sense anymore. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree with you here. I'm no, gonna disagree no, with you here no. because letters are. I mean, they're verging on so anachronistic that it it is email, right? When, when was the last time you sent a letter? You're asking the wrong guy. Why do you send a lot of letters? Well, I bet I've got my pen and paper guy. Like letters come by my way, right? Like this is a thing. Like I still receive handwritten <laughs> letters from people. Really? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Right. So, like, you just—I'm a different beast. I'm gonna—I'm gonna gonna send you a handwritten letter. Uh, Please do. I would genuinely love to attempt to decipher your handwriting, which I've never seen, but can only assume is just a nightmare. You must have seen my handwriting. My my handwriting is great. Mm. All right. Send me a letter then. (laughs) No, no. Please. I I would love that. Please. (laughs) Uh, I'll I'll attempt to read it live on the show. That'd be great. (laughs) I get your point, right? Like, it's the idea of like cut and copy and paste and all that kind of stuff, right? Or like the save icon being a floppy disk. I understand all of that. I would just like to see a new interpretation. Like, I would just like to see what somebody could actually do if they weren't attempted to be bound by this, right? Because email has a particular look to it, right? Like, we all know what an email is. We Email apps will have a particular look to them of, like, these lists right of like little rectangles like there's i just think that they're no email app no large email app uses actual envelopes in the ui it's just the logo so like give me something else that represents what an email is i would like to see that yeah the problem like don't get me wrong i'd be very i'd be very interested to see uh i'd be very interested to see what people could come up with as as the idea for an abstract representation of email. Um, but I think your your idea that, that email looks like anything is misguided because we're really just we're really just looking at all of the um, we're looking at the way information is displayed on modern computers, mm-hmm. which follows these same kind of table layouts and and view columns yeah. like there's not there's not actually a lot to work with I guess with. the problem would be that it's like it would also look like all messaging apps Yeah it looks like almost anything that's a that's a table view of information right mm-hmm. it's like it doesn't look that different from iMessage uh it doesn't look that different from a whole bunch of other stuff so like email feels a certain way in your head but that's that's different from email having a genuinely distinctive visual look that separates it from other things yeah but anyway i i i uh i give i give microsoft real points here for this this bold combination of the giant corporate aesthetic looks of blue on a white background <laughs> it is i actually i predict that this is going to be a trendsetter i predict 
that we will see companies that have have been just all blue thinking we're going to mix it up and we're going to do blue on white. I I think Microsoft is starting a trend here. That's definitely (laughs) what we wanted. Talking about things we wanted. Well, the the iPad mini now supports the Apple Pencil. I'm not quite sure they were things that we wanted, but... The royal way. Right. Within the gray household, there were literal yelps of excitement upon the announcement of an iPad mini with pencil support. Great. That's good news. (laughs) I'm pleased that that has remained because in the Hurley household... The iPad Mini has been cast aside for the ten point five inch iPad Pro. So the previous iPad Pro to the current ones, I. <laughs> but when it looked like the iPad Mini was maybe never gonna come, I was just mm. like, "Look, I have bought a new eleven inch iPad. Mm-hmm. This ten point five inch iPad is brilliant. Just take this, mm-hmm. try this, see if it works for you." Ended up working. I told Adina about the new iPad Mini. She was like, "I like this one now." Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. We've got one ordered. I'm very happy about that because for what, four years? I've been hearing nothing but grumbles about when are they going to update this thing and I want it with a pencil. Yeah. Uh, and and I've been playing the role of you're never going to get what you want. We have to, we, we all have to move on sometimes in life. Uh, but luckily, this time I was wrong. So I'm really thrilled that they've that they've made it. I, th- I still yeah. think iPad Mini is a like it's a great little size. I think it's really interesting that it's they're keeping pencil generation one support for it, so it doesn't it doesn't work with the new generation two pencil. Well, and that yes, I think it's interesting because it's Apple. My like my interpretation, anyways, it's Apple wanting to maintain. We didn't have to change the case. Yes, of the that's iPad it. Mini. So they keep the cost down and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's also a separation between the Pro and the other line because they also yeah. brought in an iPad Air, which uh, replaced the old iPad Pro. They kept the iPad, old iPad Pro around for a while, and now they've replaced it with a product called the iPad Air, which is better in some ways, worse in others. But now there is a an iPad that isn't Pro that has a smart keyboard and a pencil, but they're not the new versions of those things. Oh, the okay. So I I, I paid. Exactly zero attention yep. to the other iPad, but so that that one also uses the Generation One pencil. It also uses the Generation One pencil. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, okay, that makes more sense then. That makes right? more sense. So okay. I think what because so there's a couple of things. I think one, they want to keep those cases as they are, so they don't need to change them. Keeps the cost down. Uh, mm-hmm. Two, the new iPad Pro with its induction charging and stuff like that. That is like a special thing to the expensive products. Right. Right. If you're already giving the other products things that the Pros used to have, now you need to define more about what the iPad Pro is. So currently, that is USB-C, induction charging, super thin, sleek design, you know, like that kind of stuff. So yeah. they've they've definitely brought these products into the modern, which I think is fantastic. Like, they're also super powerful. They have the same chips that the iPhones currently do in them, mm-hmm. um, which that says very good things for the iPad this June. They felt the need to bump all of the current products to much more powerful CPUs. Except mm. the the low end iPad has remained unchanged, but it was still it's still pretty fine. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm excited about that. But yeah, I think that that little iPad Mini of an Apple Pencil could be really cool. I have not uh, I've not ordered one, but I mm-hmm. do want to try it out because like I'm I'm very intrigued about a device as small as that which can do full multitasking. It has the same multitasking. You can have 
two apps open and a slide over app because it's got mm-hmm. the RAM, it's got the CPU for it. Um, and also like it can fit basically in my hand to a degree and mm. I can m- make notes on it and stuff like that. Like, I mean, I am intrigued by this device. I did kind of spec one up price wise and mm-hmm. to get it like with the larger storage and with LTE and to get a smart cover. And if I, I don't think I have a spare Apple pencil anymore. We're looking at 900 pounds. Right. So I was like, I need to go and try this thing out first because yeah. that seems that's a, that's like a little too pricey much. to just play around with. Yeah. yeah. So I, I want to kind of get a feel for it. Like, it's what does it feel like? Because it might just be for me. It's like this combination doesn't work because mm-hmm. right? I think that that Apple Pencil is too physically large to use on a device so small. But we'll, we'll see. Um, I think that the Apple Pencil could always have done with being a bit smaller. Uh, yeah. The original one. And I think that the balance might be really weird, like because the Apple Pencil will be like as big as the iPad, and I'm wondering if that's going to feel strange, with considering like you probably mm. can't really rest your hand on it to write. So I'm I'm just intrigued as to how that actually feels to use. But I think it's great to have. I'm pleased the iPad Mini's not gone, uh, and and I hope that this means that in a couple of years they'll make it look more modern. Mm-hmm. Um, so here's something funny about this. I saw it in a review today. The home button, that is a physically moving button. Oh, wow. Okay. Right? Because they didn't change it. Right. It's not the button that pretends to move. Right, right. It actually physically moves. I was like, wow, that's wild. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long time since I've had a device that did that. Yeah, it has been a long time. Um, I'm, actually, I'm actually glad to hear it because I, I never I never warmed to those fake the yeah. fake button on the phone i just i never like it was 80 percent of the way there but not enough so I, I i was happy when we when we moved to no button but no i'm I'm really thrilled that the mini is still around i think it's i think it's a great little size to act as act much more like a little notebook to carry with you yeah um and so when when my wife gets hers i'll, I'll be very interested to play around with it um i can't i cannot s- foresee getting one for me um because i think i would again go i would go crazy on the difference between the like the two different pencils and i've also gotten so used to face id that its absence is abhorrent to me uh i'm still annoyed at my computers all the time like you're looking right at me computer Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. and so in my heart of hearts i will i will still be holding out for pencil support on the phone at some point for uh like what could be a, a tiny little notebook that i carry with me but I'm I'm really glad that they I'm really glad they haven't abandoned the the mini form factor. Like I know I know a lot of people who were really like heartbroken that it hadn't been updated, and I think this is this is great. And I'll be very curious to see one uh, when it arrives in the gray household. I want to tell you a little story. Okay. Because this this iPad Mini was released as part of like a week long, super wild set of circumstances from Apple. Okay. Um, I should note that we are recording this episode before Apple has a big event because this episode will come out after that. Right. So it's just worth mentioning that kind of timeline-wise. Yeah. You say big event, but I hadn't heard about it until you mentioned it. Because you don't. So like, I don't, don't think go it was on the that internet. Big. Like you don't. <laughs> I had to tell you about the iPad Mini being released. You don't know anything. You don't. You don't ever go online. Okay. That that is also true. You did mm-hmm. have to tell me about the iPad Mini and WWDC tickets being announced. And yeah, that I, is true. I, yes. you, you also did tell me about uh-huh. WWDC tickets. A- anyway, I, I think Apple needs to do more promo. That's that's all I'm saying. Direct one on one. 
This episode of Cortex is brought to you by a new sponsor, Luna Display. They're the makers of the only hardware solution that turns your iPad into a wireless display for your Mac. Now, what does that mean? Luna sent me a copy of their little Luna display kit to try out. And what it is is just a little dongle that I can plug into my laptop that then communicates wirelessly with my iPad and gives me a whole second display on my iPad for my Mac. Now, you may be thinking, I'm sure I've heard that you can do this kind of stuff before. And I have tried it in the past, but it's never really been great. And I don't know what Luna has put in their little dongle that I connect to my Mac, but it must be magic because this is the first product like this that I actually really like, works fantastically, just is lagless, and you can genuinely use as a secondary monitor for your laptop. I already am dreadfully building up towards some big summer trips. And on those, I always bring my Mac and I bring my iPad. And sometimes it feels kind of dumb and redundant to have both of these things. But having the Luna display with me now is going to mean that I can genuinely have a little mini two-screen computer setup everywhere during the trip. And it's going to be really great for when I'm in one place for a while and can really set up like a little remote mobile office. So I really like it. And if you've ever wanted to try out an iPad as a second display for your laptop or your computer, either because you don't want to buy like a really expensive display when you already have an iPad, or if it like me is something you want to do while you're traveling, totally get Luna Display. As a Cortexan, you can get an exclusive 10% discount on Luna Display. Just go to lunadisplay.com and enter the promo code CORTEX at checkout. Before you ask, it supports all the things you might expect. It means you can use an external keyboard. It also means you can use the Apple Pencil on your iPad as part of your laptop or Mac and all of the regular touch interactions. So this actually also turns your Mac into a kind of touchscreen device. It's really fantastic. I highly recommend it if you want to do this kind of thing. So again, go there now to lunadisplay.com and upgrade your setup. You're going to love it. Just use the promo code CORTEX to get 10% off at checkout. That's lunadisplay.com, promo code CORTEX. Thanks to Luna Display for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. There was also, as part of the, the week of product releases, there was an update, some updates to the iMac. Mm-hmm. Um, and as part of the press related to the iMac, um, on another show that I do called Upgrade, we were mm-hmm. granted an exclusive interview with the iMac product manager at Apple. Oh. Um, which was a very exciting thing for me and Jason. This is with a woman uh, whose name is Colleen Novielli, and she runs the iMac team. Oh, that's very exciting. That's a good get. It was a very good get. We were very excited about it. So this was, um, Jason got to interview in person with her. Um, mm-hmm. So they had a good chat, and it was as part of a, an overall episode that we did, which also included a draft, which we do drafts as predictions. It's like a different way of doing predictions um, for the events, and they're always fun to do. But there is an interesting Cortex story here, which okay. is working to the craziest kind of deadline that I can possibly have, which is an embargo time from Apple. Oh, okay. There is no okay. bigger deadline that could occur in my life than that one and if you don't know what that means yeah i was gonna say explain to the listeners what the apple embargo deadlines are basically this interview was done before the world knew that the imac was being updated 
Mm -hmm. So we were given a time that we could publish our episode at because we couldn't talk about it beforehand because then we would be breaking the news and Apple liked to at least be with the first round. So they had a time in the morning that they were publishing their press release and we could publish at that time no earlier. Right. But what that also means for us is no later. Right. 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 If you have an embargo, you want to be first. You want to be out first or as, you know, like basically as soon as possible. You know, you may be second, but it's all at the exact same time, so it's first, right? Yeah, and and if if Apple has given you access like that, you don't want to publish the next day. No. Right? Like no. you like that you you want to publish it the the moment you possibly can. Yeah. So that you're you're part of the wave of mm-hmm. this product exists in the world. Yeah, and this was the first time that we got to do that, right? That we mm-hmm. got to actually have an, uh, a representative from Apple Inc. on our show. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to to do it properly. But there were a lot of interesting wrinkles in this situation. Okay. One of them was that I was in Romania. Oh, no. <laughs> and so not only is that two hours away from London... Right, right. The U.S. has has undergone the switch to daylight savings time. Uh, yes. So I was three hours further away than usual. Mm-hmm. And Jason was given a specific time to perform this interview. So what it meant was I needed to be ready to be recording sometime between 1 and 4 a.m. Oh. Because I had to record with him after the interview. Right. Because neither of us knew what was going to be happening. Right? So. (laughs) Okay. So this was the situation. So Jason was was given the information and then we could record our part of the episode. Mm -hmm. So it was, but it was also one of these things of like, we didn't really know when he was going to be available we didn't know how long the interview was going to take we're kind of just waiting mm-hmm. we started at like three twenty, mm-hmm. i think until four and then i had to wake up the next morning to edit it all to get it ready to be published <sighs> now we did actually work a little bit in our favor we recorded the episode over multiple days Okay, all right. So the other you broke up the other parts of the show yes. so that you weren't doing it all at four in the morning. The other sections were all done at different times. So this was mm-hmm. like the pre-planning because we we were given some notice. Like we, you know, this wasn't like sprung completely sprung on us. Mm-hmm. We had some time to plan, so we sat down and we planned it out. Right, like we know we're gonna we know it's gonna be difficult. Anything that we need to record as part of the announcement because it's gonna be a time that nobody knows when it's gonna be. So what parts can we record in advance? So we did that. Uh, and then we recorded the other part afterwards. And then it was a case of me waking up and getting everything ready. And I've never checked a file more than that one. Uh, and also as well, uh, I had a kind of just a wild recording setup whilst in the hotel room in Romania. Let me see if I can send you a picture of it. I think I have a picture here. I was going to say, please tell me that you knew this was going to happen before you went off to Romania, so you yeah, were just prepared well, with gear. That is, n- that's not a problem. That was never going to be a problem because I was always recording something there. 
Okay. Right? Like, I was All taking right. my gear because I did two shows there anyway. I knew I was going to be doing two shows there. I didn't know when we originally planned it, of course, that this was going to be what the show was going to be about. But oh, that, that, that is a sad podcasting setup there, yeah, Mike. We, we didn't necessarily <laughs> consider that we would need a room with a desk in it. Right. Um, so because you're just, most you're hotels just on the floor. Do. So yeah. I was able to, like, pull this little table and sit on a couple of cushions. Uh, but I had to, like cross my legs in underneath the table, right, to get the microphone right. close enough to me, which was on, a, like, a stand on the table. Um, so, yeah, that it was just, like, one of those things where it's, like, I have a very interesting job that's that's considered glamorous, I think, by some people because I, like, make entertainment. Sometimes it's not glamorous. And, like, this reminds me, there was an... I can't remember who it was, but, like, a an author... Like a, a guy who writes for TV that I saw tweeting. About. Oh, this was um, Stephen Merchant. I saw him. Right. He was he posted this on Instagram a while ago. I'll find it for the show notes. But like, mm-hmm. it was a little video that he made of writing a movie script in hotel rooms because mm-hmm. he's a super tall guy, so he can never fit under any desks. So he's right. like turning over trash cans and propping them up on like beds or like room mm-hmm. service trays. And it's just like, it is funny where it's like the perception that sometimes you have of the way that people make a thing is so different to the realities of traveling while working. Yeah. Here, yeah. everything is set up perfectly and it looks Probably how you would imagine it. There's all these blinking lights and boxes that I've got. And I've got like a boom arm and my microphone's hanging off it. And I've got this big corner desk and everything I could need is around me. But when you travel and work, you are at the whims of whatever the room you've got. Because everyone's gone through this. The pictures on the website, that's mm-hmm. not what you're getting. <laughs> right? So this was just the situation. We didn't, I just don't think we really thought about a desk for for this trip uh but future trips will we will do that because if i'm going to be working but yeah that it, this was just a wild setup for me that does not look like a comfortable position to be in for Wasn't. recording for Wasn't. a long time i and... did i did one stint of one hour and then another stint of two hours and uh i'm not i'm not exactly sure if the audience thinks of podcasting as a glamorous profession um in in the way that say, script writing for Hollywood is romanticized. Well, I'm not comparing them. Or at least I should say, like, cushy, right? That, like, you're not <laughs> particularly working, like, in very strenuous conditions, you know? The thing that this is making me think of is is also, like, um, every time there's a, there's a YouTuber conference, you know, but people still want to make videos while they're on the road. And I, I have seen many a hilarious photo of people basically taking the, the blankets from the bed and building a little fort in the middle of the room like you would as a child to try to get a space in which you can record audio for like the voiceover for video and it is hilarious to me sometimes like I know videos that have millions of views on them where it's like oh and they recorded it like in a little in a little child's bedsheet fort in their hotel room during VidCon right just to try to get something up it's like you know, you th- like, oh, these major productions is like, yes, but in hotel rooms, it's often very improvised. <laughs> but it was a great thing to be able to do. I just hope that if it ever happens again, I can at least be in my home office and studio. You take these things where you can get them. Sometimes yeah. they're on the floors of Romanian hotel rooms. 
Yeah, but that's exciting. Like it's a really big landmark for <laughs> Relay to have this. How, how do you feel to be involved in the breaking of news? But the breaking of news is different. So like there's been times in the past where Jason has uh, had review units and stuff like that. But this was like straight up. Yeah, that's different though. Nobody that's knows different. about this thing, but they're going to mm-hmm. find out about it from the show. It was actually very fun. I liked the thing that I hoped would happen, which is I heard from many uh, Upgradians which mm-hmm. is like Cortexans, uh, as in the name for the listeners. Right. Where many Upgradians were tweeting at me and saying, I had the, I heard about this news from the show. I had no idea. Oh, it was that's gonna, fun. Right? That's really which is fun. Like, so they, they saw the episode because the episode was a day late. So people right. were waiting for it. Um, and so they pressed play. And within 30 seconds, we're mentioning this news, right? Mm-hmm. And so that was fun for, for me and I guess for other people where it's like, this is how they found out about it. So, yeah, it was it was really great. I was very pleased that we got to do it. I hope that we get to do things like this again in the future. Um, who knows? I mm. hope so. Uh, but it was cool for me and for us especially because the the woman that we had on, Colleen, this was her first public appearance. So hmm. she had never done anything before where people would know about her. Um, right. So that was really great for us. Um, I was actually very excited when i found this out like when we found out that it's like okay this is going to be somebody who people haven't heard from before Mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. that was like okay so you know we're not going to have like tim cook on the show right Mm. like that's that's not going to happen and maybe there are other executives that it could be but it's like i think i kind of like the idea of somebody that is new rather than someone that you've heard from a bunch of times. Yeah, it's nice being the introduction platform for someone who's new. Like, that's yeah. a nice thing to be able to do. Yeah, so that was that was also just like a nice little silver lining to the whole thing, really. Um, the interview went really well. Jason did a great job. Um, and I'm, I'm very pleased with how it all turned out. And people seem to be really excited about it, which, which I like a lot. I like that it makes our existing listeners really excited, too. Like, mm-hmm. they come along on the ride with us. So it was mm-hmm. fun. Oh, that's great. That's super exciting, Mike. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but yeah, it's a crazy deadline. That is the biggest, that is one of the most important deadlines I've ever been a part of, personally. <laughs> nice and low stress, huh? I cannot tell you how scared I was working in this, our publishing system. Oh, man, yeah. This is this is especially not a time to play around with the, like, scheduled release of Oh, of, no uh, way. No way. <laughs> but just in, like, the file naming, right, to make right. sure that it wasn't completely obvious in case someone was looking for it, and then, like, just working in the system to get, like, everything needed so I could press the publish button without pressing the publish button. Oh, boy. Yeah. Oh, boy. For people who've who've never done this kind of web publishing, either, like, with podcasts or with videos, it is always terrifying when you have something ready in advance, but you want it to go out at a particular moment. Because it just, it always feels like, I don't know, like these buttons are there just just waiting for you to accidentally hit them and really screw yourself up. Or it's just like it's so easy to not notice that a thing is is set to go out uh, without your intervention or like or like uh, what you just said there. Oh, the it's not published, but the totally obvious URL is open to the public if mm-hmm. anyone was just to type it in like cause there's so many ways it can go wrong. Uh, that I, I do not envy your your position there of of like please don't let me be the show that messes up 
Apple's embargo deadline. Yes. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to give you a try on this one. Oh, you've ruined it yeah, for everyone. Yeah, uh, yeah, especially for your first one for your first one out the gate. Like, I don't think Apple would be calling you back anytime soon. <laughs> it was one personal, personal victory I had in all of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was the first tweet in my own public timeline. Oh, okay. <laughs> right, like I did it at the right time. But right. like for me... I was first. And as you can imagine, I follow a lot of technology people and publications. But like our one, the Relay FM tweet was like the first tweet. I was like, I had the iPhone in front of me and I was watching the clock icon. (laughs) And as soon as it got there, hit it. While sitting in a hotel room somewhere in Romania. Hashtag first. Cortex merch. Cortex merch. Dot com. Dot com. The subtlety is back by popular demand. We're doing uh, another run of the subtlety. We've been... Uh, this was one of those products that seemed to get more popular after the first sale, which was fun. And I think that right. was because it is an amazing T-shirt. And mm-hmm. when the people received it, when the Cortexans received it, they all spoke very highly of it. So mm-hmm. it is now available again. Um, so you can go and get that at CortexMerch.com. And it is being joined by the brand new Subtle Sweater. This is the first product of the Subtle line, which will mm-hmm. hopefully be rolling out in the future. Going to see how this goes, you know, and if the Subtle Sweater sells well... Uh, maybe there will be other subtle products in the future, which is a very gentle blackmail that if you want there to be other subtle products in the future, <laughs> buy the subtle sweater. I think there was nothing subtle about that implication, Mike. <laughs> well, let's say it's, uh, <laughs> it's not subtle blackmail. It was light blackmail. It was just a touch of blackmail. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm very excited about this. I personally wanted a sweater, so that's why sweaters first. Mm-hmm. So we're going to see how it goes. These are only available until April 16th. This is going to be your only warning on these. So if you're hearing this right now and you want them, go to CortexMerch.com or just make a mental note to go there later on. Uh, CortexMerch.com, you'll be able to get the subtlety and the subtle sweater um, just for a short time only. And of course, there are still some other products in the store, all of our original lines. So the hat, the hoodie, the tee, and the pins, you can get those still. Um, but the subtle products, they are only available for a limited time only, just a few weeks. So cortexmerch.com for the subtle tee and the subtle sweater. They look amazing. You're going to look super cool and super subtle as a Cortexan wearing them. So <laughs> other Cortexans will know. Right. But everybody else, you're just wearing something cool. Right. But you have you have that little that little like wink as you mm-hmm. pull down your hat to be like, mm-hmm. we know. We know. <laughs> Howdy. Howdy, partner. <laughs> Cortexmerch.com. All right, let's talk about Seven Days Out, 11 Madison Park. This is Cortex Movie Club. So this is a, a ne- an episode of a Netflix documentary say, this series. This wasn't a movie. Well, what we want to call it Cortex Netflix Documentary Club? How many clubs do you want? <laughs> right? Like, There's two clubs. There's a book club and there's a movie club. This is a movie club. Uh, I guess, yeah, I mean, I guess because if I expand it out so that it includes everything, it just sounds boring, like Cortex Media viewing Exactly. It's, and plus, you know, really it's, it's a documentary. It was like an hour long. It, it's a short movie. Um, okay. we, I, have a t- I have so much to say about this uh, documentary. But I guess I want to know, just so I know how much I need to say, I just want to know right off the top, like, what did you think of it? What were your kind of like, did you? rather than the content itself like breaking it down right. did you enjoy the show uh okay well now now you've picked you picked an interesting question to start with mike okay did i enjoy it um 
So I, I watched a few of the episodes in the in the series. I did watch the video gaming one, uh, which was very interesting. Yeah, I can see why you're like, oh, it's not really homework for the show because it was like a like a personal drama, mm-hmm. basically. Like it didn't really have anything to do with work. But do you see my point about how it, they clearly thought that was going to be one of the weaker episodes? It turns out to be an incredibly dramatic thing that occurs during the episode. So we're just going to roll with that. this one as being like the crescendo of the entire thing because somebody goes through like a horrific family thing. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. Yeah, it was, it was interesting. I'm, I'm not so sure that they thought it was going to be less interesting in the beginning but i like i saw it i watched it i liked it i watched the dog show one which i mentioned last time uh my favorite thing about the dog show episode um so it's like a it's the westminster dog show yeah yeah but it's like what is it like a beauty pageant for dogs i guess is like if you don't know what a dog show is i I was gonna be like listen listen to the dismissive way you're you're talking about dog shows a beauty pageant for dogs i'm trying to like break it down into like (laughs) other terms that like if you don't know what the westminster dog show is then like that's what it is right like it's the only way i can think to describe it but they picked a bunch of people to follow like hoping mm-hmm. that one of them would win right mm-hmm. you could no nobody wins um so i just thought yeah. that was that's just kind of funny to me in that episode spoilers also with the dog show episode they totally overhype it they're like oh this is full of full of drama and and like these people are really cutthroat and actually they're, they're following a bunch of dog people and they're all really nice. Like they're all helping each other out. They're all like, oh, everybody's dog is great. Like who doesn't love doggos? Um, and the thing that made me smile about that is there's there is also a documentary on Netflix which follows the Westminster cat show. And let, let me tell you, the cat show people are are literally, literally wishing injury upon their competitors in front of the camera. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> Oh, God. At least the way it was edited, it confirmed every one of your thoughts about dog people versus cat people, right? That, like, the dog people were all just happy to be a part of this thing, and the cat people were out for blood and hissing at their competitors. It was hilarious. Um, but, yeah, I saw that one, and I saw one more that I can't quite remember right now. But Did you watch the Cassini one? I started to watch the Cassini one. Okay. I didn't. I didn't quite make it all the way through. I started to watch the Cassini one, but... The, the, so there's one about the restaurant. Here's here's the thing. I found this, I found this like stressful viewing. Yeah, because yeah. Because they're like they're under this pressure to open it, mm-hmm. and it was a it was a good episode. But I had this I had this feeling like um, I don't know a little bit like when you're in school and there's a whole bunch of stuff to do. A kind of low grade nausea. And that's what I felt while I was watching this episode is like they have so many things to do and they have so many deadlines and things that are out of their control that while it was a a great episode of of TV, I genuinely felt low grade nausea throughout the entire viewing experience. That Um, was why I asked you this first, because I assumed (laughs) that that could be a very possible likelihood of like, but that's that's fine for me, right? Like you could see it was good, but it made you feel anxious. It's like fine, because that's that is part of the thing about this show is like some of them a couple of the episodes it's following one inciting event like mm-hmm. that is a, that is actually going to affect the people you're watching some mm-hmm. of them are just like there's a thing happening so mm-hmm. there's also like the Kentucky Derby right yes where it's yeah. like well the Kentucky Derby is just like it affects a lot of people but like the restaurant one the esports one and mm-hmm. the Cassini mission is like mm-hmm. You're following the only people that care about this. 
Yeah. And like that's that's like a big difference between the show and they actually kind of do a good job of like flip-flopping from episode to episode if you watch them all in a row. Mm-hmm. Um the the one about the uh fashion show, it is mm-hmm. Chanel, I think. That's just another excellent episode. Um but th- I I think this whole series is very good. But this one episode I enjoyed it the first time. I loved it the second time. I want to know if you can guess why specifically I like this episode. Yeah, so it's it's interesting that you feel so strongly about this because you know, like I watched it and I really liked it. And I think there are some things to discuss. But it it was not obvious in the viewing to me why you would feel so strongly about this episode. If I had to guess... I would guess that you you love the the I don't know his name but the guy who is the front of house. <laughs> guy, yes. Right? Okay. Will is that like Gidara. is that Will Gidara. Okay. I love this man. <laughs> <laughs> uh he I am like obsessed with him now. Like I can't okay. stop thinking about him. Are you following him on Instagram yet or Yes. Yes, oh, that was, okay. that was wow. the first thing I did after I watched the episode. That was a joke uh, that is now real. <laughs> okay. Why would I not do that? I, I, I don't know. This is how people tend to work in like social media. If you think someone's cool, you follow them mm-hmm. on social media. Like That's right. typically what people do, Gray. Like, I know that's not how you operate in <laughs> social media, but like this is how most regular people okay. operate in social thank media, you. right? Th- thank you. Thank you for that low-key slight... Uh, <laughs> no worries. So, uh-huh. if you haven't watched the show, you should. But if you haven't watched it, basically, the, why they are following the reopening of this restaurant. The, mm-hmm. It's called 11 Madison Park. It's in New York. It, this restaurant was awarded the best restaurant in the world in April of 2017 in a mm-hmm. thing called the 50 Best Awards. They closed for renovation that year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is the story of them seven days before their reopening. If I remember correctly, they closed for three months. Yes. And that that is, this is also part of like the stress of watching it. That is a shockingly short amount of time. Yes. To try to renovate a whole restaurant. Like all I kept thinking of when I was watching this is, uh, must have been about a month and a half ago, the boiler in my apartment <laughs> broke. And it I, the to reason be I laughed, I wondered if you were ever going to mention this because <laughs> boiler replacement is like a th- is like a long standing theme of this show. Yeah, cortexmerch.com. <laughs> yeah, I, I believe that was the that was the initial impetus for doing merch. Was uh, no, it was the second t shirt we ever did. Oh, it was the second. It one. was the okay. second run of the monkey brain shirt. It was the second. Was because my boiler right. basically needed an entire replacement. Yeah, yeah. So like, you know. Uh, like my, like I wasn't really directly in, involved in this, but it's like still the boiler needed to be replaced in my apartment, and it was a it was a two week process that tore the whole apartment apart in ways that was inconceivable to me before it began. Mm-hmm. Right, where if if someone had told me ahead of time, like oh. Uh, yeah, the you know they're gonna get some guy to come in here to replace the boiler, and they're, they're gonna be pulling piping out of the wall in the bedroom, right? Like I would not have expected that. So anyway, like I just kept, I just kept thinking like, oh, it took two weeks to do what seemed like should have been a relatively straightforward thing in a tiny London apartment, and I'm looking at their gigantic restaurant space in the middle of New York, where where like the demand for construction labor must 
just be just be incredibly high. Uh, and I was like, you guys are going to redo this whole place in three months. It, it seemed like an insane, insane deadline to redo the restaurant. And uh, as as Mike likes the the chief guy is Will. Is that his name? Mm-hmm. Well, I like him, too, because he does he does have this surprisingly rare quality of someone who is really detail oriented and it's like this man is thinking of every single detail that he wants just so in the front of the house and i would think this would need a year to produce this whole thing the way that he yep. wanted there's a great quote from the architect because uh-huh. they're doing it in three months in new york city where he says where it's at least twice as hard as anywhere else in the u.s right right because <laughs> new york has a lot of union rules plus it is an like a like a very like dense city so like moving yeah. and doing deliveries and stuff like that is also i'm assuming incredibly difficult but they do this refit in this incredibly short period of time but and it's not a small one either they gutted the entire place like they really kind of they didn't just redecorate right like it's a brand new restaurant mm-hmm. it is owned by Will and the chef whose name is Daniel Hume mm-hmm. so Daniel Hume is the chef runs the back of house Will Gadar is the uh, restaurant to a front of house man they bought the restaurant after they'd worked in the restaurant mm-hmm. uh, and uh, there's like a there's an interesting theme in here as well of these two people being what most people would think of as winners like they are two individuals who their stories are like okay they are the type of people that put their mind to something and they succeed like when they bought the restaurant there's a there's like a, a interview with the guy they bought the restaurant from who was their boss before mm. and he asked them when they bought it where do you go from here and they said number one in the world right and at this point that restaurant was nowhere near that like it yeah. was a good restaurant in new york but it was not like a even in top 50, right? Like it wasn't in a top 50 contention. And then they went and they did it. They became the best, ra- considered the best restaurant in the world, which is quite a thing to do. Yeah, it, it really is quite a thing to do. And it, I was looking at both of them and, and thinking this thing, which, I don't know, it's always, it's always like, it's it just this thing that if you're looking at people who are really successful, you know, say number one, restaurant in the world in 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 the restaurant field which is pretty competitive mm-hmm. you should not expect the people who do that to be normal people and and it's like yeah that that's why will is like 99th percentile of humans detail focused on everything that's in the whole dining area mm-hmm. right like he's he's not just like oh we need we need someone to run the front of house is like no 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 he he's upset that the cushions aren't soft enough that they've just installed. We can't talk about the cushions yet. We can't <laughs> okay, talk about right, the cushions right. yet. We'll talk about them, right? That's I have like a whole thing about the cushions. Okay, yeah, but he's like obsessed with all of this stuff for like the lighting and every, like every detail of this whole place. And then, mm-hmm. you know, they run through his history and he's like, well, you know, I, I sat down with my dad when I was 12 and made a list of all the things that I wanted to do. And like, I just did them. Right? So, it's like, yeah. So the way this comes about, right? <laughs> his dad was a restaurateur. Yeah. And this is like wild, this story to me. One mm-hmm. day, his dad gives him a paperweight when he's 12 years old that says, yeah. what would you attempt to do if you could not fail? Then said, write a list of things you want to do in your life. <laughs> and on that list was open a restaurant in New York City. Right. 
<laughs> it's just like a 12 years. Why does his dad do this? I mean, clearly it worked, but that is like, again, so like you start to think like, why is he maybe this way? Well, maybe it's because when he was 12 years old, his dad made him plan out his life. Well, uh, yeah, I, I mean, this is... And this isn't a criticism yeah. as such. Like, that is a harsh thing to do, but, like, it's an interesting thing, right, to be asked at an age and then plan it. And as well, like, just because this happened didn't mean he had to continue down this path, right? Like, people diverge from what they want to do when they were kids. Like, this was something he really wanted to do, and then yeah. you would assume the more he went down this route in his life, the more he realized he wanted to do it. But it is just kind of like an funny, inciting event. Yeah, well, and and also like that—that that to me is the view of like children are much more like their parents than the children or even the parents sometimes recognize. Uh, it's just yeah. like, oh, right. It is pretty common to have uber successful competitive people. They produce uber competitive successful children, like at a higher than average rate compared mm-hmm. to the general population. But I think like he's an interesting comparison to the the chef who. They sort of like mentioned it offhandedly, but he's like, oh, yeah, I, I used to be a professional athlete in bike racing. And then one day I decided, hmm, maybe I could be competitive in the world of cooking. And so yeah. I became an amazing chef. Right. And it's like, OK, yeah. <laughs> again, like you just you're not a normal person. He was 21 years old when he made that decision and is yeah. now like one of the best chefs in the world, but just yeah. decided he would do it when other people at his level have been doing it since they were like nine. Yeah. Yeah. And just like, oh, I'm going to I'm going to do a I'm going to do a career change mm-hmm. and just take this competitiveness in me and point it at something else and mm-hmm. just go. And that it, like that is a thing that I, f- I find interesting in. I don't know, like it. I think in humans, like humans, if you think of all of their various characteristics, like you have a bunch of sliders and I have a hard time relating to people who have the competitive competitiveness slider set really high. But it's also interesting, like those people, not surprisingly, tend to be really successful. But I think he's a good example of a thing I've I've noticed where like for people who competitiveness is set really high, they don't it almost like it almost doesn't matter what the domain is. It's just like, oh, I just want a domain in which to compete. And I, I, I've been a professional athlete and now it's time to just do something else. And boom, cooking, whatever. Like, but the way he describes it, it almost, it almost feels like it could have been anything. Like, he, you know, he, he could have become a professional painter, like, just mm-hmm. as easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, it's just, an, it's interesting the way he describes it uh, as just like, oh, I, I just shifted this field of attention to this different domain and now I run the number one restaurant in the world. (laughs) Today's episode is also brought to you by our friends at Squarespace. You can make your next move with Squarespace. They will allow you to create a website for your next idea. Squarespace gives you all of the tools that you're going to need. You can register a domain name, you can customize award-winning templates and so much more. No matter what type of website you want to build, Squarespace has all of the tools that you're going to need to do it. Whether you want to make a blog or a portfolio, an online store, a site for an event, a site for a local group, no matter what it is, maybe you want to create just a website to announce a project that you're working on. Squarespace
Squarespace has the tools and the functions that you're going to need. There's nothing to install or patch or worry about or upgrade. They have it all covered for you. They even have 24-7 customer support in case you need any help. I've been using Squarespace for so many years purely because I find it so simple and so easy to be able to use their system. I don't need to go and learn anything. It's so intuitive and I'm just going to keep using it for many, many more years as well because when I want to make a website, Squarespace is where I go to. And you should too. If you go to squarespace.com slash cortex right now, you can sign up for a free trial and you can get a feel for what Squarespace can do. You can design your entire website and then when you're ready to launch it out to the world, you just have to sign up for one of Squarespace's plans. Start at just $12 a month, but you can get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain by using the code cortex at checkout. Once again, that is squarespace.com slash cortex and the code cortex to get 10% off your first purchase and to support this show. Our thanks to Squarespace for their support of Cortex and Relay FM. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. So there's like a thing going on for me here, mm-hmm. which I think is running in parallels to one of the reasons that I was particularly like taken aback or like this this specific episode has been like rattling around in my brain a lot recently, is that mm. I am becoming, I'm finding myself becoming more and more in awe at what chefs do. Like mm. the idea of being a chef, because it's like this very, very intense way of living. Yeah. Like you, you seem to need to dedicate your life to it, not just in time, like in history, but also time in every day. Yeah. Like it seems like being a chef consists of a lifetime of training and learning, mm. incredibly long hours, like all hours. And I'm also becoming more and more interested in the fact that it seemingly comes from nowhere for some people. So Hume is a good example of this. We also just finished watching a competition show called The Final Table on Netflix, which is like a cooking competition show, which is pretty good that we liked. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the people, there's like something like 20 chefs or something like that on this show in total. So many of them, their story was just they changed careers to become chefs Mm. or there's a couple of them that are like completely self-taught, but they are cooking at this incredible degree, but they never were trained. They just do it. And I, I find it to be not just impressive in that way, but one of the most creative things a human can do is to cook at this high level right like this michelin star level right which are all these restaurateurs on this show that we just competition show that we're watching they all have michelin stars or they're considered the best in their country at this or that and Mm -hmm. they show all of the stuff that they do and the ability to be able to create this incredible looking food and i'm sure incredible tasting food right Mm -hmm. just seems like such a thing which is almost unparalleled in creativity it's like art it's like music right like they feel like these things that are pretty similar to me where it's creating something out of nothing from components that already exist right like all of these ingredients exist like mm-hmm. or all of these words exist in the language but you have been able to put them together in such a way to create this thing that nobody's experienced before um i find that very interesting i'm, I'm wondering here if i'm eventually going to lose my podcast co-host to the world of cooking no I'm because not i've enough. been because i've been hearing you increasingly over the years be interested in cooking so far like expanding your own palate and cooking yes. yourself this also <laughs> comes with the fact that over the last few years i've been able to 
get over and like get better at some health stuff, which has meant mm-hmm. that I have been able to eat better and more mm-hmm. rounded than I ever have before. Um, so that has been like another reason why I have become more interested in food as a person because I am able to eat more interesting things. So I am just becoming more intrigued about flavors mm-hmm. and that because I am able to have more of them, which is wonderful. Mm-hmm. So looking into like what it takes to make food has become really interesting to me. And it's not just like Michelin star food because I don't eat Michelin star food, right? Like right. this isn't a thing that occurs to me on a daily basis. Like I, I eat at regular restaurants, I eat at nice restaurants where I can, mm-hmm. but they're all like incredibly different. And the food is always so interesting to me. Like why can a cheeseburger taste so differently in all these different places? You know, like mm-hmm. what goes into this? And, and like that has just become something I've been a little bit more interested in. I also love and find very intriguing the respect that you see in kitchen environments. And this respect is also dealt in such a way that is also aggressive and horrible. Mm-hmm. But is this hierarchy is so interesting to me. Yeah, kitchens always seem kind of military almost. Yes, and that is fascinating. Like, And you see it in this show a lot. One of the other main characters of this show is a guy called Dimitri, who is the chef de cuisine which sounds like he's in charge of the food, but actually he's the middle manager. He is in charge Mm -hmm. of all the people. Mm -hmm. And he has to work so hard to effectively run things for him on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. But there seems to be a drive for him because he wants to impress the chef. Like, he wants to make it the way it should be because he believes in the chef's vision. And that kind of... The way in which the, a kitchen seems to be stacked is so interesting to me. The the way that people, the words they use, mm-hmm. you know, like everything is yes, chef. Mm-hmm. You know, like there is, a, there is a really interesting moment when the restaurant, the opening night of the restaurant, where the chef, whom hugs Dimitri, tells him that he loves him. Mm-hmm. And Dimitri says, yes, chef. Yeah. Now that is so interesting to me in that moment because... Hume is having a emotional reaction, but Dimitri is still upholding the typical level of respect that he must show the chef. And it's just this, the way that, again, I really appreciate that like these environments can be rewarding, but also like soul breaking for people Mm -hmm. because as you mentioned, it is like the military, Mm -hmm. but it is the fact that it has remained is so intriguing to me. There are not, I can't think of another professional endeavor outside of the military and outside of cooking where this institutional respect is maintained. And that is just so fascinating to me as to why this occurred. Like there is another moment where they're doing the tasting. It's either the day before, I think it's the day before they're doing like the friends and family thing. Mm. And Something's cooked badly, and the duck is raw inside of this apple, Mm -hmm. right? Oh, God, yeah. What I love is the words that Hume uses. He says, why does this happen? And I love that phrasing, just like as a a thing, like when you think about like language and stuff, like the way he asks that question, like, why does this happen? 
it's such an interesting way of asking the question of like, he didn't say how, he said why. And like, that's so interesting to me is like how he thinks. It's like, why would you do this to me? Is kind of what he's actually saying. Um, but the way that then the, the, the cook involved in that process is talking to the people and the way that people are talking to it's like such an interesting dynamic that so these are some of the reasons why i'm finding this stuff particularly interesting right now and i i don't really know where this is it's coming from watching lots of cooking related shows another incredible netflix series is called somebody feed phil with the creator of everybody loves raymond goes around the world eating food it is one of the most wonderful wholesome and enjoyable things i've seen in years it's two seasons <laughs> Everyone should watch this show because it is wonderful. Uh, so, and then, like, just Netflix has a ton of cooking content, right? Like, mm-hmm. if you are interested in food in any way, oh boy, Netflix has got you covered. Um, <laughs> so, I've been watching more of this stuff and just becoming increasingly interested in food. Because what I have also noticed about myself is you can go to a nice restaurant and eat things that typically you do not enjoy, and they're good. And I'm also really intrigued about that as like a as like a thing. Like I don't really mm-hmm. like fish, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm not really a big seafood guy, but I've been taken to some nice restaurants and have eaten fish because it's like all they do. It's like, oh, this is good. But I mm-hmm. know I don't like this in other places. And so like just and I know it's like it's the way it's cooked and it's the ingredients and blah blah blah. But it's like I'm intrigued about like the why to some of that. So mm-hmm. this is part of the reason, as well as my ridiculous man crush on the front of house guy as to why this episode is so interesting to me. Do you want to tell people about the pillows? Yeah, so there's a couple of parts that I need to tell to lead up to this story. So one thing is um, talking about a lady called Natasha McGovern. Oh my God, the secret hero of this, this episode. I was looking at Natasha the whole time and I was like, you are the woman making all of this come together. Yeah, her role is director of creative projects. Basically, yeah. she is the person responsible for managing the renovation. She is also the person between Will and everyone else. Yeah. So she takes his demands and softens them and makes things happen. <laughs> right? That is kind of like her role. Yeah, that's a, that's a good way, that's a good way to put it with the softening uh, as a as a key component of this this mm-hmm. kind of in between role. So it's important <laughs> to know who she is to, for me to tell you about a few instances of Will uh, and and why I have an interesting like respect for this guy. The reason for this, by the way, is I see some of my own sensibilities in this guy. Like I'm not mm-hmm. as intense as him, but I definitely feel that way sometimes and as i am getting older more frequently Mm -hmm. so the mohair benches so there are benches that are put in which is half of the seating um like you've got benches you've seen these right like the they're like the little booth type situations in a restaurant Mm -hmm. so this is a perfect example of how he intensely cares about everything he describes himself as a reasonably particular person Mm mm-hmm so there is a, uh, they sit down in these benches and he says, I'm really nervous. It's terrible to sit in. 
Mm-hmm. They are his words when he sits down in them the first time because he found them too prickly and they need breaking in, right? Like they've just been made. It's like that kind of like a bristly feeling. Y- yeah. Like I think people will know this. Like you'll feel this sometimes if you're if you're sitting up against a cushion that has been stuffed with hairs that have um, like hairs that have substance to them so they can sometimes poke through mm-hmm. the actual fabric that contains them. Like that that's the impression that I get of what's going on when he's talking about this. It's like he's, he's sitting up against these things and they feel a bit prickly. Yeah. So because they're new, they yeah. are prickly. And over time, they will soften, but they don't have time. And so they're right. talking about it, right? <laughs> this is like day five. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they're, they're talking about it. And there is a line that he says that I am preceded by somebody saying he's like talking with people and we don't hear what comes before it but my perception is like somebody says like oh you know uh you know this could be a problem blah blah blah. the line he says is it's not a question of whether it's a problem it is a problem and when i heard this on my first viewing i think i exclaimed that i love him (laughs) (laughs) because what i like about him and whilst he is obviously incredibly demanding he is very clear about cutting through the type of corporate language that you typically hear. Yeah. He does not accept the way that people typically talk in business environments if mm-hmm. he is unhappy about something. And there is another example of that that I want to get to in a minute. But there's still way more about the Mohair situation. Like, this, it ends up being that, like, it becomes an absolute code red situation for everybody else around him. And you see it play out throughout the rest of the episode because clearly like there was like phone calls being made and you're hearing phone calls and people were making jokes about it or whatever. But I think what has clearly been established by the people around him is it doesn't matter what anybody else says. Mm -hmm. This needs to be fixed. It doesn't matter if this is or isn't a thing. It doesn't matter if it can or can't be fixed. It must be because Will is upset about it. Yeah, I, I think also what, what's important to understand for the setting of this, which makes it 10,000 times better, is the restaurant is is still in total disarray around them. There are a million things that need to be done. At this point, they don't even have gas turned on. Yeah, that's exactly it. like the kitchen is completely non-functional. You can just you can just see in the background of shots like there's guys everywhere, there's stuff all over the place. Natasha, my favorite person in the episode by far, has this punch list that she shows the camera. I was waiting for you to mention this list. Oh my god. Well, first of all, her handwriting is amazing. Unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, it's like it's un- unbelievable handwriting, but it's like she has just this incredible list of things. It's thousands, probably. Yeah. So, like, it's just, she has multiple lists of hundreds and hundreds of items that need to yeah. be, that are, like, absolute must-be-fixed things. Right. All of them, all of them are. And, like, she, you know, she's running through this list, and, you know, all I can think of is how many man-hours each of these little items represents. Um, or, or, like, how many of these things that they're dealing with only one or two people can possibly solve. So mm-hmm. it was like getting the inspectors in for the gas, right? Or the guy the guy who's doing the gold foil on the ceiling, right? It's like there's a craftsman who can handle this gold foil that they need over the whole ceiling. Like, and you know, that's just, that's all they've got there. So th- this is what makes, 
him being particular about the seats even more striking because it's like, hey, these seats, compared to almost everything else on this list, a normal person could say, it's done, right? It's done. We've got a million things to do. Maybe this isn't the thing that we need to focus on. But that's why like his his line of like, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not discussing this with you. This is a problem is even more striking because mm-hmm. it's not like it's not like they have a bunch of free time and he's looking to cause problems. You know, it's like they've got so much to do. And this thing that is done, he's like, no, 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 it's not done. It's not remotely done. It's like ultimately they're able to soften it, let it steam it, and they get it to a point where he finds it acceptable. Yeah. But this this scenario, right, like the one that you mentioned, like of there are so many things going on, but he seems to intensely care about this and everybody pays attention to it. It mm-hmm. all plays into like a theory that I have that I've kind of been developing over mm-hmm. the time of working on things creatively. My theory is that all things that are great are great because somebody worried intensely about all of the things you would never notice. Mm-hmm. And because somebody can care about something so small that it has to be fixed, ensures that it will ultimately be seen as good by everybody else. Because mm-hmm. probably nobody would have noticed the prickliness of the mohair. Mm-hmm. But the fact that he cared so much about that thing, which is probably an unimportant thing, means that no important thing was left unfixed. Mm-hmm. So, like, that it's just like a thing that I think of when I sometimes find myself intensely stressing over minutely unimportant things mm-hmm. that are massively important to me, but probably nobody else cares about. Like I make myself feel better by the thought that the fact that I care and will fix this thing, which is unimportant, probably means that my attention to detail is such that the overall product will be good, hopefully. Mm-hmm. But like that is like my theory of like why is this the best restaurant in the world? Probably partly because he cares so much about the prickliness of the benches. Yeah, and I, like I think of just the media that I consume. I know this is this is a common thread that like I love watching and consuming like movies and TV shows and YouTube videos where it's clear that someone has sweated a thousand little details of like what's going on in the background or how this is shot. And it's like, yeah, the the you'll never notice all of the things that the director or the creator of that thing was worried about. But I just I don't know. It's it's always a thing that I, like even when watching movies with my wife, we're always discussing like, oh, this is clearly a movie that somebody cared about. Mm-hmm. And and you you tune into that when you notice some detail that's like, oh, you didn't need to do that movie. But somebody cared enough to make this scene transition a little better. Or like, oh, there's yeah. a nice continuity here that nobody who doesn't pay attention to how movies are made would ever notice. And like those things are nice and you tune into them, but it does mean that there's a million things in the movie that you're not thinking about that also just like help it help it go along more smoothly. Yeah, I think this for me started uh, in media studies class. Hmm. So I took in the UK when I was 16, you would go on to do A-levels and they were just different things that you could choose to do and you have to have A-levels to go to university by hmm. and large. And I one of the classes that I picked was media studies. And in media studies class, you're looking at all different types of media, but one of them being film. And I think it was during this the course of this two-year class where I was being shown things in movies. It was like, oh, like, pay attention to this very specific thing that's going on here. 
the reason the director did this is because of this symbolism of this and this and this. Stuff that you won't notice, but mm -hmm. they took the time to very particularly do it. Like it's stuff like that, I think, was what started my kind of like obsession of these, like doing these things that nobody else may even notice because mm -hmm. they're important to you. And I think that kind of like set this off for me, like a thing in my brain of like, why did you even do that? Like, why mm -hmm. was that important? Does that add to the overall feeling of a thing? So mm -hmm. that's kind of like what I think one of the reasons why I like the both of them. I think they're both like this to a, to a, a degree, but Will is more, he is more like that. Mm -hmm. My favorite though, just like as a very quick aside, is this thing about the lights in the restaurant. He's having a conversation with a guy who is part of a lighting company who's renovated the lights. And Will is unhappy because he says that you used to be able to turn some of the lights on and some of the lights off independently, mm -hmm. and the new lighting cannot be done. And the lighting guy says that this is how it always was. And Will says, I have spent thousands of hours under these lights, and I am telling you, we used to be able to do this. And mm -hmm. then the guy's like, well, we didn't change anything. We just changed the, the way those lights work. Like, we didn't actually change the underpinnings. This is how it was. And then and then it's going back and forth. And Will's saying, no, it used to be able to be done. And the lighting guy's saying, I understand. Mm -hmm. Which is a very normal thing that you find whenever you're making a complaint to someone, whenever you're working in, like a, in a, any kind of company. When you're upset about something, people say to you, I understand. Mm -hmm. But what I like about this is Will's saying... What are you saying you understand? Yeah. Like, and he's asking him to his face, like, what are you saying you understand? Mm -hmm. Now, they didn't show the resolution to this, ultimately, but I think I know how it went. But I, yeah. I just really love the way that he won't accept what normal people accept, which is when somebody tells you they understand, you back away because it's like, okay, they're attempting to empathize with me fakely. Yeah. Right, they have false empathy is being shown to me now. So, like, I will back off because this person's trying. He's like, no, no, no. <laughs> He's like, I won't accept this. And I just find it really interesting as like a person whose soul was crushed in a company, listening to this type of language for so many yeah. years, that he just decides I'm not accepting this. And again, it's also like, well, yeah, because he's paying for it. Yeah, I mean, there is a thing where he sort of tries to break that conversation by simply saying. Well, you know, make make it this way. I, I do have to say that is the one part in the, the episode, though, where I d I'm not confident that he's right. I'm not I'm not saying that he's wrong, but I but I do feel a bit like I'd love to know who is actually correct here. Yeah, that this isn't like I, I felt the same. It's like I don't know that. I mean, I don't know that he's right. They don't resolve it. He believes yeah. he is, but it, yeah. Yeah, but but like one of the things that's interesting is whether whether or not he actually is correct. And it is the moment where I doubt a little bit because it's like the electrician is talking about some of the, the way it's wired in the walls and like, oh, it's, it can't possibly be this way. And that's, that's what makes me doubt him a little bit. Like, I don't know, man. Like, just because you have been in this room for forever doesn't mean that you do accurately remember how the lights went. But nonetheless, it, it is nice that it kind of cuts to the point of, he says something like, okay, well, let's make them this way, right? Like, he, he, he doesn't, he's like trying to move past this as well, like even, even in the argument of like, okay, whatever. Like, let's just, let's just do it like this. Um, and it's and and yes, and then the the camera sort of cuts, and you have no idea how this resolved. And I imagine not well is the answer. <laughs>
there's one thing I also liked in this episode, which I, I always think is as a really important and underrated skill, which is both of these guys, like we've said, being very successful, goal-oriented dudes, but they both also recognize that the task of doing the number one restaurant in the world is not something that they could do on their own. And I like, I just think it's, it's always, I think it can be hard for people who are like that to sometimes recognize like, where are the limits of their own skills? Yeah. They know they need each other. Yeah. They know they need each other. And I think it's, it's like the task of knowing oneself, like, and, and what are you good at and what are you not good at? Or, if you want to achieve this thing, where do you need help and where do you not need help? Like that is, that is an invisible meta skill that it's really easy to get wrong. And like, I, I think it's, I like how they both really acknowledge that they need the other person. And this discussion about how, uh, you know, in, in many restaurants, either like the kitchen is running the restaurant or the front of house is running the restaurant, but that's not what they were going to do in their restaurant. That it's like, it's one unified experience Mm -hmm. and and i think it's it's that recognition that like oh we're both really good at what we do but the restaurant needs both of us is probably why it was able to achieve being number one in the world yeah because it wasn't like oh my my desire to have these fancy meals overrides everything else Mm -hmm. and it's actually even a little thing that i really liked and i felt like i could really sympathize with with the with the chef where He's talking about how he has these various principles about making meals, like a, like a meal should have... I have the principles written down if you'd like them. Right. I was like, it should be delicious. It should be... Beautiful. Creative. It yep. should be beautiful. And it should be what else? So I want to I read them to you because they're, okay, they're yeah. so great when you just... So the dish has to be delicious. The dish has to be beautiful. It has to be creative. Every dish should add something to the dialogue of food today. Right. And number four is intention. It needs to make sense that the dish exists. Right. I just love it. It's so beautiful. And he says as well that these fundamentals sometimes work against each other, like creativity and deliciousness, but they both have to be there. Yeah. And like that's the part that I think is, is again, a, a way of being self-aware mm-hmm. that I think a, like a, a person who was really good but less self-aware could just leave it at their four principles of the meal. But it's an important recognition that creativity can play off of these other things or like beauty. You know, it's very easy to imagine a thing that is more beautiful and less delicious. Mm -hmm. Right. Or like, you know, it makes it feel like he's he's aware much more that instead of thinking of a thing where there's four vertical bars and he wants to max out all of them, that instead he's he's dealing with a surface and a geometric shape that he's trying to spread across a bunch of axes and he only has so much area to work with. And it's like, yes, that is a much better way to think about that. And this is a part of any creative process is things can play off of each other. Um, and like, it just like it, it made, it made me think of like my own comparison in this. And it's a thing that I, like I talk about with other creators is like the the trade-off between like clarity and complexity and it's good to have a topic that's like complex but it also has to be clear and these two things are always pulling at each other that 
you know, you, you want it, you want a topic to be complex and to be clear, but you're always going to like maximize a different project in a different way. So again, I just thought that was like a really interesting way of being self-aware about, about the dishes instead of just yelling at his chefs like, oh, it, it has to be more beautiful, but I will, I will sacrifice nothing to achieve that greater beauty. Yeah. And you do mention about like needing each other. I think that's part of the reason that I like this too, is I work in a lot of one-on-one collaborative environments, right? Like I have many creative partners, like people Mm -hmm. that rely on me, I rely on them and we work together to create things and run things. And and I think that's part of what draws me to this is like they, the two of them have clearly a very strong bond. Mm -hmm. Like we've spoken about this in the past about like working with friends and working with people that you have a relationship with like how mm-hmm. it crushed me when i found out that the mythbusters weren't friends right <laughs> like I, I, that's right that that experience is like it, it hurt me so bad that like i think i am now even more like drawn to when i see people that clearly have a, an emotional feeling for each other working together and like how right. they balance all of that um and so it, it made it extra fascinating to me uh, and then again, more so because I could see some of my own qualities in Will mm-hmm. uh, that it kind of I think just really drew me to this. Like I just think it's it's fantastic, and I just like the way that they approach everything. Like they talk about how they know the kind of world that they're playing in, that they know that their food is expensive, and they know that it's like a thing that means a lot to people when they go to that restaurant because it's not something that they can do every day. Mm-hmm. But they talk about how it's not about them. Everything that they do is in service to giving somebody a good evening. And I like that. I like because they're like trying trying to, whilst it being a pretentious activity, trying to make it less so mm-hmm. um, because it's less about them and more about the enjoyment of the person. There's just a lot of things I think that just spoke to kind of my sensibilities in the way that these people approach Mm-hmm. what is traditionally a very stuffy environment i'm glad that you recommended it even though i did feel low-grade nausea throughout mm-hmm, the viewing mm-hmm, process mm-hmm. And, and also intense concern for natasha and her punch list that seemed to just grow it never got finished i, I don't know <laughs> oh. if it's ever been finished <laughs> but. yeah it's like she, it's opening night and she's still she's like oh i still have all of all of these things that that need to get done mm-hmm. it's like oh god you know, you're the you're the true hero here, but yeah, no, I, I'm. I was really glad to have uh, watched it, and I want to finish off the the couple of other episodes that are left. I'm I'm particularly interested in the the fashion show one, but yeah, no, it was, it was interesting, and I think uh, hearing hearing you talk about it, I can see why. I can see now why more clearly this episode spoke to you, Mike. 